Amen. Okay. Imagine that you're invited to a dinner party in... Um, a, a dinner party for a fundraiser, and uh, you are shocked to see some of the following people present at this party. There's President John Adams. There is President Theodore Roosevelt. There's also Winston Churchill from England. We have famous mu- musical composers, Robert Schumann and Ludwig von Beethoven are present there as well. Famous authors like Edgar Allan Poe and Mark Twain and Charles Dickens are there. When you arrive at this dinner party, you, you see uh, the authors over in one corner and Charles Dickens is listening to Mark Tra- Twain and, and Edgar Allan Poe talk about their latest books. Uh, over here you see the musical composers uh, Schumann and Beethoven talking about their latest compositions and off in the other corner we we see Adams and Roosevelt and Winston Churchill talking about politics. You wonder to yourself, why on earth are all these people here? After all, this is a dinner, a fundraising uh, event to help people that are suffering for depression. Why are they here? The time arrives for these speeches by the special guest, and you're shocked as each one of those people that I just mentioned They get up to the podium and they give their own story and their own account of why they have fought depression in their life. One by one they get up. And then one final gentleman gets up and he takes out a piece of paper from his pocket. And it's a letter that he wrote to a friend years earlier. And in it he wrote this, quote, I am now the most miserable man living If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. For to remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. I just feel like I need to pray. I don't know, there just seems to be something, heaviness. There just seems to be something. Um, Would you pray with me, please? Father God, uh, this is your house. We are your people. God, we come here this morning and we have sang songs of praise. We have partaken of communion. We have remembered your body and your blood, Jesus, that you sacrificed and But, Lord, um, we dedicate this service to you. In the name of Jesus, I bind the enemy. In the name of Jesus, I bind the enemy. Satan, God's word tells us that we are to submit to God, resist you, and you must flee. So we demand you, we command you to leave this place this morning, right now, right here, and right now. If you are influencing anyone or anything, we command you to leave in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. God, I believe that you want to speak to someone here this morning. I believe that perhaps someone this morning needs to hear the words that we are about to share. 
Do not allow the enemy to steal anymore. Thank you, God. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you that you are victorious. We are victorious through you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, um, we'll see if this works. We, uh, um, I think Mandy said, you know, we were having some issues with worship and PowerPoint. And you, whenever that happens, you know it's going to be a good service, right? Because Satan doesn't want. Um, I've been given the topic of depression to speak on. Um, what does the Bible say? Uh, does it say anything at all about this topic? This can be a confusing and a controversial topic, but when I received more than one request for this in, a, in our What's On Your Mind series, I knew it was something that we had to speak on. However, please understand that I am not an expert. Um, I am not a clinically licensed professional professional in this area, um, but I'm going to do my best to look at this this morning from both a practical and a biblical standpoint. A lady named Elizabeth Wurzel once said this about depression, a human being can survive almost anything as long as they see the end in sight. But depression is so insidious And it compounds daily that it's impossible to ever see the end. The fog is like a cage without a key. Maybe someone in here has felt that a couple times in their life. Depression is one of those topics that uh, many are hesitant to tackle, especially in the church. Perspectives about mental health disorders can vary greatly, not just in our culture, but they can vary greatly within the culture of the church itself. If I were to guesstimate this morning, I'd say that many of you here have battled depression at some point in time in your life. Maybe it was a one-time experience. Maybe depression has kind of come and go at different times throughout your life. While some have been engaged in an all-out war against this invisible giant year. During this time, many people ask questions like this. Does God even exist? And if he does exist, does he see me and does he see what I'm going through? Is he able or willing to help? If God is all-powerful and if God is a healer God, then why have I not yet been healed? A lot of these symptoms for depression are sadness and anger An overwhelming sense of hopelessness, suicidal thoughts, perhaps. Fatigue, always wanting to sleep. Losing interest in things that once was enjoyed. Depression can be triggered by the loss of a loved one or an illness. Loss of a job, divorce, leaving home or any other tragic event. And as you can imagine, people try to cope with depression in all forms possible. They try to cope with their depression by taking their anger out on others. Alcohol and drugs are popular ways of trying to cope with depression. Some people even turn towards things like pornography, overeating, hoarding, 
Some people, believe it or not, even turn to things like uh, the Home Shopping Network, QVC, to fill that void in their life in order to escape their depression. And none of these things help. And in all actuality, they end up just causing new forms of depression. What about the Bible? Does the Bible say anything about this topic? Did anyone in the Bible deal with depression? Well, the word depression is no, it's not found anywhere in the Bible. But neither are headaches or athletes' feet or diarrhea, but we know that takes place as well, right? Yeah. However, the Bible does describe many people as, quote, downcast, sad, forlorn, discouraged, downhearted and brokenhearted. Those who mourn, those who are troubled and miserable, and those who despair of life. If you were to look at the lives of King David, uh, look at the life of Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, look at King Solomon, look at uh, the Apostle Paul, look at Job, those are just a few examples But one of our greatest examples comes from one of the greatest men of God in the Old Testament. It'll be on the screen, but turn to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, and give me a chance to cough here for a second. First Kings 19. One of the greatest men in the Old Testament, Elijah. As you're turning there, 1 Kings 19, we know that Elijah was a mighty man of God. He took on the wicked King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. Through Elijah, God sent judgment upon the land and a drought came, a famine came. Through all of that, though, God took care of him. You know the story. God sent him into the wilderness sent ravens to feed Elijah. He uh, then sent Elijah to a widow and her son where they were just about ready to die. And uh, she took care of Elijah. And God, uh, through Elijah, never allowed her oil and her flower bins to end. And then her son died. And then Elijah brought uh, uh, brought the son back to life. And then how can we forget the miracle on Mount Carmel where Elijah challenged uh, the prophets of Baal and the prophets, uh, prophets of Astra, and there were 900 prophets there, and, and they put water over the sacrifice. And you know the story, they could not get their gods to consume the sacrifice, but God called down fire from heaven, and God consumed the sacrifice. This was just a little bit of Elijah's life. But then it all came to a screeching halt, and let's look at the first three verses of 1 Kings 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. This is right after Mount Carmel, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent his message, sent this message to Elijah. Quote, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. 
Life was going great for Elijah, and then all of a sudden he got a death warrant on his life, and he ran away. He ran away from his circumstances. He ran away from that which was causing him to go into a depression. And I ask you, does that sound familiar? Do you ever just want to run away? Just wave at me if you've ever felt like you want to run away. Just wave at me. One, two, they're all over the place. So I'm not alone, right? And when you run away, you want to run away to a far place, don't you? Far, far, far away. One of the things that I looked up was um, when this took place in Mount Carmel, that's in the northern part of Israel. Beersheba is in the southern part of Israel. That's 113 miles away. Elijah took off and he went 113 miles away. Now, with us today in cars, that's not quite a big deal. But when you're on foot, that's a long ways away. Elijah wanted to get as far away from this situation as possible. And then we see that his depression was so bad. Look at what verse 4 says. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. What does the Bible say about depression? It talks about those who have gone through it. Here is a mighty man of God who was in the throes of depression. Now, if you were to read the rest of that chapter, you would see that Though it took some time, he went into a time of 40 days of prayer and fasting. Although it took some time, God eventually brought him out of his depression. Praise the Lord. But yes, the Bible does reveal many characters who have experienced this illness. You're not alone. There are some misconceptions that I want to take a little bit of time right now and clear up for you. Some misconceptions about depression. Number one, the first misconception, depression isn't what some in the church make it out to be. Depression is not what some in the church make it out to be. Listen, depression is not a character defect or it's not a spiritual disorder. It's not an emotional dysfunction, nor is it necessarily a choice either. Asking someone to try not to be depressed is like asking someone who's been shot to try not to bleed. Just not possible. The only difference is one condition is visible and the other isn't. It's often been said in the church, well, if you just have enough faith, if you just believe in God enough, you can pull out of this. In some cases, there indeed may be a spiritual blockage. However, I also believe that the converse is true. We talked about this just for a little bit in our Wednesday night study. You see, I believe that the body is as much a part, the mind is as much a part of the body as our arms are, as our legs are, as our backs are, and hands and eyes. And to deny medical or clinical treatment to those who are truly suffering from depression or mental disorders would be like denying someone medical treatment if they've had a heart attack 
or if they've broken their leg. Depression isn't what some in the church make it out to be. Number two, mental illness is not a sin. Mental illness is not a sin. Now, if during the course of healing, some sinful uh, action or abuse has been identified, then yes, we need to attack it from a sinful position. That's where the healing needs to begin. But to simply view someone as a sinner because they're battling depression, church, is wrong. Is wrong. Mental illness is not a sin. Number three, the Bible may not provide any quick fixes or easy way outs. It may not provide any quick fixes or easy way outs. What do I mean by that? Yes, the Word of God is where we must begin when dealing with any kind of problem in our life. It must be our first source of help. But verses such as this, be anxious for nothing, just be anxious for nothing. Or when Jesus said, do not worry for which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. These verses cannot be used as just quick flashcards whenever we're trying to help people that are battling serious depression and serious mental disorders. Let's, not, let's be careful not to abuse or miscontextualize God's word when trying to help someone deal with depression. God's word must be a part of our healing, but let's not just expect that it's just going to be happen. It's going to happen instantaneous. For many people, healing is a process. It takes time. Another misconception we want to clear up, number four, anxiety and depression do not look how we often think. Anxiety and depression do not look how we often think. Many who are depressed, they hide it well. They'll come into church and they may appear to be normal. They'll come into the workplace to appear to be normal. And that's because there's just a stigma that seems to come along with depression. And no one wants to be uh, labeled with that. No one wants to have that stigma about them. But if we as the body of Christ respond to mental disorders with encouragement and with support, we just may be able to provide an environment where people can open up for help. Just don't be surprised if it's someone that you never expected. Yeah. Number five. Churches may not be the best place to fix depression. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Well, you mean? I mean, it's where God is. Why, why not church? Listen, most churches do not have a licensed psychologist uh, on staff, nor are most pastors equipped or trained to know how to deal with a lot of mental disorders. What we need to do, though, is be encouraging and supportive, but also have resources to refer people to. Now, I could kind of close this up real quick and just say, hey, we've learned some things about depression. Go on, do your best. But aren't you glad that that isn't where this needs to stop? <laughs> You're probably looking, Pastor, I need, some more, I need more than this. I need, I need some more help. I want to give you some general thoughts and then I want to leave you with some things specifically that I've learned during this study. The first one is what we've already learned. The general helps 
Go to God's Word. Start with God's Word. Look, even tackling something as elusive as depression begins with the Word of God. For God must be our hope when there is no hope. Deuteronomy 31.8 Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Isaiah 41, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Those are just some samples There are thousands of God's promises that we need to go to first to start our healing process. This next one, I think, is a key point. During your time of depression, try not to focus just on yourself, but focus on Christ and helping others. Focus on Christ and helping others. We need to focus on Christ because He is ultimately the one that is able to pull us out of our Depression. And we also need to focus on others because when we focus on helping others, it takes our minds off of ourselves. It takes our mind off of what is taking place in our life. I'll give you a first-hand example of this. When my dad was my age, I think he was around 46 at the time. That's how old I am. And I was about 16 years of age. My dad has always been healthy as an ox, never had any issues other than just the common cold. But when he was 46, he had, a, uh, he had a battle with high blood pressure. Now, many of you have that. Many of you just like, no big deal. But um, I think I can say this. And, and, and you know, ba- Dad being an artist, um, he's weird. Artists are just weird. They're very eccentric, and they think on certain levels. And when things happen, it can just really send them to a place that that is not a good place. And dad was in the hospital for just two or three days until they could get a handle on this, but that sent him into a depression. A depression that he had never experienced before in his life. And he didn't know how to get out of it. And they said it took him weeks and weeks and weeks. That was also right smack dab during whenever our family was busiest going out and singing in churches and ministering to people. And I'll never forget that dad said, Brock, one of the things that helped me pull out of the depression that I was in was whenever we were able to go out to churches and minister to other people. It got my mind off of me and got it on other people. We were able to minister. We were able to help them. We were able to pray with people at the altar. And and he said that's one of the things that helped him. Focus on Christ. Focus on helping others. Keep that in mind. Depression can be treated through prayer, studying God's Word, and not just studying it, not just hearing His Word, but applying it, doing it. Support groups, fellowship amongst believers, that's why we, that's why we focus so much. Come on Wednesdays. You're, you're around like-minded people. You're around people that are involved in the fight for contending for the faith. Uh, fellowship among believers, times of confession, times of forgiveness. Healing can begin during this, these times as well. This next point is really important, though. Open up. Open up. 
healing is possible if we don't keep everything bottled up, but if we are willing to open up and share with a trusted friend, share with a trusted family member, uh, share with a Christian-based counselor, um, that can be great sources. And yes, counselors are very much needed today. You know, there are passages that even talk about them. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 11.14, where there is no counsel, the people fail, fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Isaiah 61, let me read this. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, this is a popular verse that we've heard, but this can be the approach of a counselor. A counselor can do what I'm about ready to do or read for you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Spirit has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is what Jesus quoted when he went into the temple years later when he began his ministry. It's referring to him, but a counselor can refer people to this. A counselor can refer people to Jesus Christ. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That there may be called, they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. A counselor can help tremendously. Now let me just add this on here as well. Let me, inst- let me stress the importance of not just a counselor, but a Christian counselor. All healing starts with the one who created you. It starts with the one who knows you. It starts with the one who knows what you're going through. So if you're going to go to anyone for help, make sure that their base, that their source of strength and hope and help is first on Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're going to be getting dangerous, conflicting advice. Not getting a lot of amens on this message, but that's okay. Um, this is one of those topics that's a heavy topic. Let me, let me just end with, with a couple more steps here. There's a Dr. Don Hall, who is a counseling psychiatrist at the Riverside Counseling Center in Leesburg, Virginia. He's written a book, a book called Breaking Through Depression. And in his book, he has come up with an acronym, SMART. He's come up with the acronym SMART. I'll try and get through these quick and then we'll close this morning. An acronym SMART for those dealing with depression. S stands for Stop Any Substance Abuse. Stop Any Substance Abuse. Did you know that King Solomon said this in Proverbs 23? Quote, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? And then he said, Those who linger long at wine. Isn't that interesting? Those who go in search of mixed wine. If there is some form of addiction in someone's life, 
It can lead to depression, or depression can drive someone to an addiction. S, stop any substance abuse. Do whatever it takes. Take whatever steps it takes to stop any destructive behavior in your life. M, medicate chemical imbalances. Now look, let me, let me just say this. I don't believe that antidepressant medicines should be given out like it's candy. I sometimes fear that is happening in the world today, that it's just given out like it's aspirin or like it's ibuprofen. However, some people, along with their unique chemical makeup and some imbalances that might be taking place, some people may require medical assistance. Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. When we're ill in our physical bodies, we often seek the help of doctors. Sometimes we need to do the same with our mind and our emotions, church. If you've been dealing with depression for weeks or for months, you may want to seek some medical help. However, let me reiterate the importance of cultivating a positive, Christ-like attitude during your healing it will go a long way towards restoration. Some people may require medical care for their condition. A, adjust expectations. Adjust expectations. Some people need to just slow down and allow God time to reveal what is really going on. You may be thinking that your depression has, has been caused by this or that. But if you will just slow down, if you will back up, if you will submit to God, He may show you that it's really this. He may show you that the source, the root of the problem is really something else that you've never dealt with in your life. Listen, it's not God's will for you to live in constant anxiety and fear. We know that 2 Timothy 1.7 is, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, I love the last line, and of love and of a sound mind. Allow God to conquer your fears as He reveals what it is that's really going on, for only He can really help you do anything about it. Two more. Revise relationships. Revise relationships. Relationships can be the source or a consequence of depression. Unforgiveness or bitterness can create times of depression. Through meditation on God's Word and prayer with God or godly counsel, God may reveal that your problem lies with a relationship. If there is a broken connection with someone, submit to God and take steps to repair it, to heal it, to heal any broken relationship that might be causing depression in your life. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this, God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ 
ambassadors. Look, folks, this may take time. It may take effort on your part. When we feel resentment or bitterness building, take it back to God and allow Him to handle it. Hmm. And lastly, on this point, track the Holy Spirit and trust God. Track the Holy Spirit and trust God. During our time of healing, we must, now hear me out on this, we must, we must, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He is our counselor. He can be our healer. He is our spiritual conscience. We studied this this past Wednesday in James 1, 5 and 7, 5 through 7. And if any of you lacks wisdom and in your depression you need wisdom, do you not? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Listen, we must be willing to not just go to the Holy Spirit for help in all things. We must not doubt what he is telling us. We must be willing to ask the Holy Spirit. We must be willing to hear what the Holy Spirit tells us. And then we must be willing to obey the voice of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit may be telling someone here this morning, you need to go do this. You need to do that. I've been trying to tell you this for a while and you're not listening to me. That's part of our healing. Our obedience to doing what God wants us to do. Listening, tracking the Holy Spirit. What's He doing in our life? Uh, you know, discerning where He's trying to lead you. And that can come through His Word. That comes through meditation and prayer. It comes by good counsel. It comes by His Word. It comes through so many forms that we talked about earlier. Don't shut the Holy Spirit out. Depression is complicated enough, church. Let's not make it more difficult by trying to face it alone. Maybe there's someone this, this morning, you're, you've been facing your black hole for the longest time by yourself. You'll never get through it by yourself. But if we submit to God and the Holy Spirit, He can help us navigate through any troubled water. I told you a story about those famous people that were at that dinner party earlier, and I read that letter that the fine old gentleman got up to share. But let me give you a couple closing words here. Go back to that gentleman who shared that letter, and when he put that first letter back in his pocket, he pulled out another letter, and he read this before he stepped away from the podium. This is what he read some years after he wrote the first letter. The year that is drawing toward the close has been filled with blessings and fruitful fields and healthful skies. These bounties are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. 
This gentleman was in the throes of life, the depression of all depressions, and he was fighting his way to get through it. And then years later, he wrote about the blessings that God, his creator, had given him. What, why, why do I tell you that? There is hope. There is hope. That author, some of you could probably guess who it was. It was President Abraham Lincoln. He wrote the first letter and he wrote the second letter. I do not want to leave you this morning without you knowing there is hope. God said in Jeremiah 32:27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Hear that this morning. The God of the universe is saying to someone or multiple people in here this morning, there is nothing too hard for me. You don't feel it. Your emotions aren't there. I read this recently and it really spoke to me in Psalm 4-5. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. We must stand firm in His word and in His ways. But what does that tell us? Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. What does that mean? Righteousness. Is it doing what you think you need to do? No. It's the sacrifices of God's righteousness. It's His righteousness. In your difficulty, in your time of depression, in your time of discouragement, continue to do the things that you know God wants you to do, and it will be a sacrifice. It will not come easy. That's why it's a sacrifice. In your time of depression, you keep doing the things that you know God wants you to do, and then trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Listen, you're going to have to trust, and you're going to have to trust a lot. But over time, God can help bring you out, and he can help you find yourself. Let me end with this story. I'm going to play you a song here in just a few moments. There's a pastor in Ohio. don't know who he is, but I heard the story. There's a pastor in Ohio who had a heart surgeon attend his church. I believe he was a regular attender. And this pastor, for whatever crazy reason, he wanted to see an open heart surgery being done, performed. I couldn't do that. can't imagine that. Some of you think that would be fascinating. The surgeon uh, made arrangements for this to happen, and the pastor sat in amazement as he saw the team and the doctors and the surgeon. Uh, you, you know what they do with open heart surgery. They actually take the heart out, and they put the patient on a heart machine and keep the patient uh, uh, living and going, and, and they repair the heart. And, and as they sat there in amazement, and they saw this, and, and, and they um, repaired it and put the heart back in and got everything hooked up. And um, what, one of the things that they, ha- they have to do at the end is they have to restart the heart. They kind of have to kickstart the heart. But in this particular case, the heart wasn't starting on its own again. And the pastor said, that surgeon proceeded to do something that he's never ever done before. He said, I've never heard of this being done. I've never seen it done before. It's not in any medical book. It's not in any kind of medical school. 
He said the doctor got down by uh, up where the head is of the patient and, and he began to whisper in the patient's ear. And he said, Mrs. Johnson, this is your doctor. I want you to know that we have fixed your heart. Your heart is fine. There's nothing else wrong with your heart. You have been healed of your disease. He said, so Mrs. Johnson, I need you to tell your heart to beat again. Mrs. Johnson, I need you to tell your heart to beat again. And to their astonishment, seconds later, the heart began to beat again. Folks, I don't know what you're going through. I know this is a topic that has hit more than one or two people. Maybe you know of somebody that's going through depression. God has provided healing through various ways, but I'm here to tell you, the Spirit of God is telling you here this morning, I can fix your heart. I went to Calvary to fix your heart. Let me fix you, and it's okay to let your heart beat again. Someone here is is holding on. Your heart really hasn't beat for years, months, weeks, I don't know. Allow God to let your heart beat again. There is hope. There is victory for you. We're going to play this song for you. Would you bow your heads, please? Father God, what a difficult message. The illness of the mind and the emotions can be so difficult to track, but God, we know that you are able to do all things. Jesus, you didn't come just to take the sin and, and, and eradicate that and He didn't come just to be able to restore arms and legs and eyes and ears and leprosy. Lord, you came to restore the mind. Lord, there's someone here this morning that may need to hear these words. God, I pray that you would fill them right at this moment and during this song. Lord, if they need to come and just pray and just uh, give whatever it is that they've been battling, give it to you, God. May they hear you say, I can help. Let me take this. Just let your heart start beating again. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Tell your heart to beat again Close your eyes
Thank you.